the IBM Z applications and runtime podcasts. Your place to get the news, trends and direction for mainframe runtimes and environments. Hello, and it's time for another episode in our podcast series, uh, Application Platform Talks. And this is where we chat to experts involving the runtimes to talk about topics in their areas of expertise. And my comrade in arms in all this is from Germany, it's Tobias Leicher. So Toby, once again, great to work with you. Thank you very much for having me. So today, we're going to be chatting to Tom Ross, or aka Captain Cobol. And he's going to give us some insight into his long relationship with COBOL compilers and optimizers and how this journey has helped the mainframe software to evolve and, and bring benefits to all our enterprise applications out there. So, Tom, thank you for giving us your time today. Uh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. So, first of all, there's a bit of housekeeping. Uh, this recording will be made available and held at ibm.biz forward slash Z podcasts. If you go there, you'll find uh, a lot more podcasts all relating to IBM Z in the application development area or the DevOps area. So to kick off, Captain, um, before we go into what you're currently working with, um, let's hear a little bit about Tom and how you came to be involved with mainframe computers uh, a while ago. All right. Well, uh, it as it turns out, I accidentally took a programming course in college because I misunderstood the what COMP period as an abbreviation in the schedule meant. Uh, I took a class in, in my freshman year that was COMP period politics, and it was fascinating comparison, comparative politics of different political systems. And then I thought I might get into engineering, so I signed up for COMP period engineering thinking it was going to be comparative engineering, but it was, of course, computer engineering. And, uh, and I, the one thing I knew, and this, I always, when I talk to young people about what are they going to do with their lives, I knew for a fact that I hated computers when I was <laughs> first going to college. Um, so that proves, and now 40 years later, <laughs> I love it and still do. Um, so, I walk into this class and she, the teacher says, welcome to computer engineering 3A. And I thought, oh boy, I screwed up. I'm out of here. So I got up to leave and then the professor told a joke and she was a really nice, wonderful professor. And it was funny. And I thought, well, I, I might as well sit down for this if it's going to be entertaining. And she proceeded to explain the Fortran programming language. And I was a math major and the logic was perfect. And it turns out that that programming is perfect for me. <laughs> so accidentally got into programming then, and we were actually writing Fortran programs and using a mainframe and submitting card decks with our programs. So then I thought, well, could I actually have a career in, in uh, computers, which, which I know I hate? So I got an uh, internship at IBM working on mainframes again. So all my contact with computers was mainframes <clears throat> initially. And uh, I did an internship, and uh, and that was great. And so, and, I, and what about was that internship, Tom? Was it out in the states? What was it? Say that again. Where where was it? Was it out yeah. out in the states? Or yes, it was actually at the San Jose plant site, a giant IBM. There were at one point twenty six thousand employees at this one site. 
Now, now there are zero. <laughs> it, was, it was the um, that's where they invented the hard drive and developed it, and that was where our hard drive disk drive business was the manufacturing. And um, so, actually, in my internship, I was working on Fortran programs that were used to test uh, head and disk manufacturing, the heads that read the magnetic, uh, you know, recording that's on the magnetic disks for disk drives. So, and now all that, we sold the business and we don't even do that. IBM doesn't even do that anymore. But, so that was my internship. And uh, and then I finished university and got a job at IBM and uh, interviewed, I think there were like six different interviews. And the, the one for the COBOL compiler, those guys decided they wanted me and offered me a job. And so I jumped into working on the COBOL compiler, which was a learning experience for me because I thought, don't you already have a COBOL compiler? What do you need me for? Because <laughs> I didn't know about software constantly changing and being and having to move with the times and need updating. And we have not stopped. <clears throat> There's always been too much to do working on the COBOL compiler for 40 years, which is <clears throat> when I first hired on was just inconceivable. Could not understand that. Wow. So, and so you liked it so much that you stayed with it. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> so what are the, what sort of things are you looking at these days? Well, uh, we are working on the uh, implementing bits of the COBOL standard, which is a, a moving target, really. When I first hired on, there was the 1968 standard and the 74 and the 85. The 85 standard was the big big difference. So the first uh, product that I was working on with IBM was implementing the COBOL standard uh, for 1985, which had all kinds of more modern structured programming features for the COBOL language. <clears throat> and then there was a, <coughs> excuse me, 2002, 2014, and now we're about to have the 2022 standard. So there's just lots of updates to the compiler that are coming along and need working on. <clears throat> I think that's about, it. oh, and then we have lots of customer requests for improvements. And, uh, and another thing I do in my job is help customers uh, using COBOL. Like I want to generate a JSON text that looks like this and I can't figure out how to do it. And so they'll come to me and I'll show them how to do it. Well, and, and of course, Tom, I, I've met you quite a few times at various conferences where you're always surrounded by a bunch of people asking you questions to do with COBOL, to do with the compilers, hints and tips, well, not hints and tips, trying to solicit hints and tips from you. I mean, you, you're always the go-to man. You're the face of COBOL. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, and, I, and I really enjoy that. I love working with the clients, the users of my product, and, and it's really satisfying to know that when we put something new in the compiler and then and someone asks about it, it's great. They're actually using what I worked on and that's that gives me good job satisfaction. And do you do you kind of get uh it's not exactly feedback, but do you get, oh, I hadn't thought of using it in that way? It's very interesting hearing you saying you've approached it that way, or I might have approached it this way, but hey, actually your your method may be better. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a, a constant learning experience. I actually I learn sometimes how to use COBOL from my users because of course they're doing it all day long, and 
I write COBOL programs when I'm testing the compiler, but these folks are, they're, they're only doing COBOL all day long. I'm often using the IBM internal language that the compiler is written in. So, but yeah, so I can learn from them and they can learn from me. And um, on the topic of customers bugging me or whatever, when I, whenever I finish a presentation at a, like you were saying at a conference, I, I do get swamped with all these people want to talk to me. I used to put my email address on my presentations, but I, I couldn't handle the amount of email that I was getting from that. So I don't, <laughs> don't do that anymore. I actually have to be a little bit anonymous just to survive. Uh, I get so many emails anyway from outside of IBM that I can barely keep up. So, And may I congratulate you on the very apt off-the-cuff bugging you uh, reference there that you came up with. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yeah, it, it's it, it's kind of like bugging me, but I love it, so it's great. And I, saw, I, I think Tom, one thing that you also do is like helping customers to migrate, and maybe a thing that the one or the other person may be wondering is, so if you just migrate and it's just another compiler, and you already said there was already a compiler a long time ago, so why why do you need to actually migrate, and what is changing there for the customers? Yeah, that that's a very good question, and. Uh, The, the sad thing is that a lot of customers don't know to ask that question and they go, they just start into it and they say, okay, I have a new COBOL compiler, this, this third generation COBOL compiler that can make my programs run way faster. I'm just going to recompile and go with it. And then sometimes they actually get the wrong answer out of the program. It doesn't do what it did before. And so we call that a failed migration. I recompile and run and it doesn't work. And Now I'm unhappy. And so they ask, you know, why is that? What happened? Um, it's the same COBOL program. Well, you have to understand a little bit low-level stuff that a COBOL compiler's job is to generate machine instructions to do the work that I'm telling it to do with my COBOL source program. And in Z, we have uh, a very dynamic hardware group adding new instructions to the hardware all the time. And, uh, and one of the features they added uh, is I consider it that they added it just for me. And it's called the vector pack decimal facility <clears throat> because with traditionally there's a type of instruction called pack decimal, a type of data in, in the mainframe. And for 50 years, math has been done in pack decimal instructions. And, uh, and that was great for a long time. It's quite compact uh, data and uh, you get good results and such. But with the faster and faster clock speeds of the hardware, they became, it became a problem having instructions that have operands that touch memory. It's much better to do uh, register to register uh, operations. <clears throat> and so the vector pack decimal facility does that and it can do arithmetic with up to 90% less CPU than a packed decimal instruction. So it's fantastic, but we need needed a new compiler to do that. It generates different instructions. So <clears throat> when you compile with the new compiler, you get a different set of instructions generated than you did with the old compiler. If your data, so here's the, the, the rub is, if the data that you're processing is conforming to your descriptions of the data. If it's, we call it valid data, then you're going to get exactly the same results with the new compiler running your program after compiling with the new compiler than you did before. 
uh, except that the program will run much faster. Um, and that's what usually happens. And most customers have a very happy time migrating and they love the results and they get more throughput, more work done in 24 hours and faster response time. Everybody loves performance. But some customers find out through this process that they've been processing invalid data for 30, 40 years, 20 years, whatever, long time. And now that gets exposed when they get a, a different program generated for their the, the executable for their COBOL source. And now they get different results and it's not working the way they want it to. And uh, it's hard to explain, <laughs> first of all, why this is happening. We wanted to give our customers a performance improvement for their COBOL programs and to take advantage of the hardware because the older compiler did not exploit the hardware. The newer compiler really does. So it's a nice thing. The hardware <clears throat> customers spend lots of money on these big, shiny, fancy mainframes. And the old compiler wasn't taking advantage of the features in that hardware. The new one does. So that's great. Um, you can see why you would want to migrate. But then you see that it's a, it can be a problem and there's a bunch of work to do. And so I spent a lot of time explaining the process for finding out if I have invalid data being processed by my programs uh, and then I can fix it and then I can migrate and then I can be happy. <laughs> so, so, so in a nutshell, basically, we just accepted before, we accepted sometimes code that was wrong all along, but we just accepted it. And so sometimes customers have the feeling like it always used to work. Why do you now change it? But in the end, it was always wrong, was it? Right, right. Yeah. And, and often what happens is you write a program, you want it to do something and it does what you want it to do. And you don't realize that it's not actually doing what you think it's doing, but the result is okay. And so then you, yep. you promote that into production and then you run with it for many, many years. You liked the garbage out that you got from your garbage in for years, but then now with this garbage in with the new compiler, you get different garbage out and then you're unhappy. So yeah. I spent a lot of time explaining to customers how to, how to get there, how to get where they want to be. And of course, I mean, another thing, Tom, there is of course that maybe these programs, as you said, have been written a long time ago and actually maybe today people don't even know how they work. So they have to spend some time to actually understand what these programs actually does. And on the good side, I mean, uh, as I tend to sometimes be a positive realist, um, this is maybe a good exercise because you don't want to run something you don't totally understand or that has been documented in a very bad way. So it is actually a very good opportunity. But of course, with the limited resources that we have, people still struggle and think like, ah, why can't it just behave the same? So let's all try to see this as an opportunity to to make our code better because I think that is like... We are, we are one of these few engineering practices, and I think you are a very big exception of that because compilers always want to optimize things. But, but generally, our engineering practice is not about optimizing what we do. We just, once it works, we just put it in and just don't care because it's software and it should just run. But I think it is a very good attitude to regularly look at your code and maybe you sometimes wonder, oh, yeah. I've learned something the last 20 years. I would do it differently today and just do it differently. And so I think that's a very good thing as well. Right. And while saying that, doing things differently, what do you think about other programming languages? I mean, you, you now do that for quite some time. You've seen probably a lot of languages come and go. What are your, what are your perspective on, on more modern languages, as people would say? And I would disagree because 
COBOL is modern, as you just explained, but but they have the feeling that younger things should be better. What's your what's your stake on that? Yes, that's a. Um, I've heard the term uh, uh, management by airline magazine. <clears throat> These uh, the reference to uh, things about technology in in popular uh, publications often talk about the very latest stuff as being better. I often think of um, uh, it's unfortunate when customers get infected with the um, uh, COBOL is obsolete virus is what I think of it. They start getting this idea that it's old and bad and therefore it, the, since it's old, we have to get rid of it, um, which of course is kind of silly. I always like that, uh, you know, if old technology is bad, then you better stop using the wheels on your car because that's very old. <laughs> or the car itself. I mean, I'm coming yeah, from Stuttgart and we do lots of cars and they are 100 years old. Daimler was 100 years ago, so we should just trash them all, shouldn't yeah, we? Yeah, throw, throw them away. <laughs> yeah. but, and what, how old is the wheel? I mean, thousands, right? So, <laughs> um, so, so COBOL is... Uh, is on the older side, although Java is no spring chicken. It's uh, 25, 30 years old or something. But yet uh, customers get this idea that, uh, and, and they, they get worried about being dependent on something as old as COBOL. And they get this this disease of we've got to modernize. And <clears throat> to me, modernizing is using newer COBOL. <laughs> but for mm. some customers, modernizing is switching to Swift or Go or Java or something javascript uh whatever and which is quite dangerous to do yeah i, th I think that the dangerous thing that you wanted to say is that COBOL actually is very good at something and this, this yeah. is something you already mentioned is is, is dealing right. with decimals is it yes that's yeah thank you um yeah like in java for example one of the main things the the the, the competitor or, or alternative that i hear about the most to COBOL does not have the native capability to handle money with you know decimal arithmetic such a basic thing um all of my all the programming languages that i ever used uh before you know and and with cobol had the ability to have uh, dollars and cents or euros and cents built in in fact i can have money in uh in binary or pack decimal or external i can have different data types to represent money in cobol and there is no data type in Java to represent money. Uh, there's a, uh, a way to emulate it, this big decimal class that is kind of an add-on to Java to extend it. And, uh, and it emulates this uh, fixed decimal idea with floating point. And, uh, and I just, for me, it's, it's so uh, incongruent that, that uh, that's, that doesn't match. I've had customers request that uh, in complicated arithmetic, even with fixed point decimal data items, sometimes the compiler will switch to floating point to do the work, to do the cal calculation. And that can get some funny rounding results. And we actually had customers request that the compiler not do this or put out an error message when the compiler thinks it needs to switch to floating point so that the customer could change their calculations to stay in fixed point arithmetic the whole time uh, because they hated the idea of floating point so much. And then here comes Java and they do everything in floating point. 
uh, and yet somehow that uh, that's okay. Um, so for me, it's, it seems like a contradiction. But uh, COBOL is awesome at decimal. It's the very best programming language for doing decimal arithmetic. And all of the other new ones are not good at decimal arithmetic. And yet these thousands of transactions that are people checking their account balances and moving money from savings to checking or sending money to someone with Venmo or Zelle or something, it, it's, a, it's a financial transaction using fixed point decimal arithmetic. And that's what people want to do all day long. And COBOL is perfect for that. And the other languages are not as good for that. Well, it's funny when you say that, that Tom, because I remember when in Kicks we did the video showing the number of transactions in a second. And it was a big old number. And we were actually trying to work out what is the weight of a transaction along an electric wire at one point. Just to sort of say, you know, do you realize that there's a, a kilogram of, of of transactions running every second because of all these financial transactions that are going through people querying accounts, etc. And the root of all that is COBOL applications in the background, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Those millions of transactions per second all day long, every day are 90 plus percent COBOL programs doing <laughs> Fixed point arithmetic. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So <laughs> fixed point is the future. <laughs> no. yeah. um, so unless, often, unless money goes away. <laughs> well, like? yeah. That's the old bartering. I guess I guess it could be a kicks transaction for a sheep or a, a goat being exchanged. Take great time. There you go. <laughs> and you might you might have you might have uh, rounding problems with that as well. You don't want to have the half the, the, the wrong half of the sheep. So I think even then, <laughs> fixed point will still be a thing, is it? Everything yeah. you can scale in in like normal decimal ways will probably have that issue, is it? Yeah. So so Tom, you already you already shined a little bit of light on that. But as you said, I mean when you said you started, you said like, oh yeah, there's already a COBOL programmer now 40 years or, or, or how many ever years you are in it. I think you haven't mentioned that yet. How long do you do COBOL now? Yeah, uh one million years. No, uh it's uh, <laughs> gonna be it's gonna be 40 years next year, which is hard to believe because it's been nonstop, you know, every day, all day long. Um And it's funny, my, never my, being bored. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, my son says he could never have a job where he was in an office all day, just, you know, just sitting at a desk. But, but in programming, it's not the same. It's the same place. It's by the same computer I'm looking at, but it's completely different working on new challenges every day. So it's never a dull moment. And so, so I think that is the, the, the interesting part now. You said you're already working on a new standard that is coming out. And yeah. I think you, you also work on other things. So, 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 so what is, what, will you be bored next year? What is coming up for you, Tom, in, in COBOL next year? Yeah, well, the, yeah, the thing that uh, I didn't know about when I, I first got my COBOL job was that there's this COBOL standard that is constantly changing. And we had uh, two standards and a third one right when I hired on, the 1985 standard was approved. Then there's the 2002 and the... Um, 2014 and there's going to be a new standard this year possibly it's under review it's they're trying to get it through one of my teammates is on the standards committee so uh, there could be a 22 standard or maybe it'll be a 2023 standard and they're constantly adding new features to COBOL 
keep up with things that people need to do with their programs. And so when they change the standard, uh, we want to be exploiting and, and, uh, and supporting the standard. And so that means that's like a constant list of things to do for us in the COBOL compiler uh, development team. And so the, the uh, just implementing the standard is enough to keep us busy. But we also have customers asking us to change things that we've added in the past. Um, like I remember when we added uh, XML parse back when XML was new and, and fancy and shiny, and now it's kind of been replaced by JSON. But the, we shipped XML parse and a customer uh, started using it within a few months, which was quite satisfying and interesting. Uh, and but they said, yeah, the XML parse is great, but we need XML parse with uh, uh, validating against against a schema, and say, so, okay, we'll start working on that. And so everything we do, there's somebody wants us to do it with more bells and whistles or something. Uh, so, um, so working on customer requests uh, and COBOL standards, implementing. Taking advantage of new hardware instructions that come along from from the IBM hardware group, there's just a never-ending list of things to do in the COBOL product, the compiler and the runtime. And uh, so, yeah, busy. And, and there are people like me, Tom, um, joined the party a little late, so don't be aware of what everything is possible. And then just ask very naive questions and you don't even have to do anything for it because it's already there is it you right, just need right. to explain people like me what what is what is already in there yes quite often customers will come in and that and uh, <clears throat> with a request for a new what they think is a new feature how are you going to um i i, I need to be able to do this with my cobalt program can you add this feature and a lot of times the answer is uh well uh, it's already there Uh, here's how you find it. Go look at this part of the manual. It'll explain how to do what you want to do. And we don't have to ship you a change or anything. Just uh, just go ahead and use what's already there. And that's that's very satisfying because it's instant gratification. The customer says, I need this. And, and I get to say, here it is. Go. And no delay. Already thought of it. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Somebody else already asked the same exact thing and we did it. And Here it is. Interesting talking to you, Tom, as usual. Great. Yeah. Fun talking to you guys. So thanks, Tom. I uh, got to say that I think um, I think comparative engineering's loss was IBM computer engineering's gain. <laughs> and and uh, hopefully the lecturer's joke, her, her joke was not on you, but also probably not out of a, what was it an airline magazine you, you were talking about earlier? Yeah, management by airline magazine. There you go. Management by airline. So again, thanks ever so much for giving us the time to chat to us today. I hope you enjoyed it and thank you for your insight. You're very welcome. For more IBM Z podcasts um, ranging from like DevOps or AppDev or any of the uh, application platforms, please check out HTTPS, Uh, forward slash ibm.biz forward slash podcasts. So from Nick, Toby and Tom, it's goodbye today and we'll see you at our next podcast. Cheers. Thanks, guys. 